We're at John chapter 8. This is what it says. I'm going to take a little time and read some. I just want you to get the full uh, scope of the story. This is what it says. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, they're talking to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Read in scripture, y'all know how I do. I get kind of crazy, and I start like, and my questions, like when I read this passage of scripture, so many like questions come in my brain. I'm like, wait a minute, how did you know? Like you caught her in adultery, I get that. But it said, it, it, the Bible made sure it said, caught in the very act. So they like busted in there were like, boom, caught ya. You know, it's like, they're like, but like, like this is real life cheating. You know, like this is hashtag cheated. Like this is some real cheater stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like they set her up. They had a private eye or something. Like how else do you catch somebody? The thing about adultery is it's usually in secret. Like how did you catch them in the act? I don't know. It's just, I don't know. One of the, that had nothing to do with the message. I just start asking questions when I read the word. That's just me. I just start like, let's move on. <clears throat> now in the law, this is the people talking again. Now in the law of Moses, that it commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. Pause. Wait. We read, is that not weird? Like, they're accusing this woman of adultery. They pull her out, throw her on the ground, and they say, Jesus, this woman, we caught her. We, we are cheaters. We caught this. Yeah, we caught her. She's an adulterer. What are you going to do? And Jesus is like. Like that, I mean, that's what the Bible, because it doesn't tell us what he's writing. So obviously it's not that important because he could have been drawing figure eights for all we know. I don't know. Or making sand count. Like, I don't know what Jesus is doing here, but he's, he's literally at the scene of the crime. And they're like, she cheated past judgment. You're the almighty Jesus. What should we do with this woman? And Jesus is like, I'll show you. Figure eight. Look at that. I'm, I'm an artist. Like, I don't know what he's doing. I just don't. We don't comprehend why he, it's the Bible specifically let us know that it knelt, that he knelt down. He didn't have a stick and stand up and like doodled. He literally knelt down, made a spectacle and drew in the sand. That's important. Remember that fact. Let's keep reading. So he knelt down and with his finger, he drew in the ground. But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is, he, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he did it again. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And when, and he was left alone and the woman where she was, I'm sorry, I'm, let me go back. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus, and Jesus answered her, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on and sin no more. I want to speak to you guys for a second from the title of forgiven. This is, this is part one of the basics. We're going to start all the way at the beginning of Christianity, and we're going to talk about what it means to truly be forgiven. 
we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And we just ask you in this moment, God, to start moving on some hearts. There's some people that need to hear this word. There's some people that really need to understand and know what it means to be forgiven of the junk that is in their heart. Yes, they're saved. They may not be. But whatever it is, God, I I pray that you begin right now working on their heart. Make it receptive to the words you want to give in this place tonight. And God, just do your will. You have your way. This is your thing. This is your place. These are your people. God, we love you. And everybody said, amen, amen. Okay, quick question, quick question. Has anybody ever, like, like, done something really embarrassing as a child and couldn't, like, ever get away from it? Like, your family members to this day say, hey, do that thing you always do. Like, do that one thing. You're like, I haven't done it since I was seven, but sure. Like, I feel like, I feel like the, the best case in this is, like, child actors. Like, imagine how many times somebody's asked Macaulay Culkin to do this. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's, he, he's 28 years old walking down the street and they're like, do that thing, dude. Do that thing you did at home alone. You know, like he can't ever escape it. I feel like everybody in their life has this one thing. Like, and, and it could be something you did embarrassing at high school. Maybe you tripped at prom or maybe, I don't know what it is. Maybe you walked out of the, the bathroom with toilet tissue with still some stuff on it. I, I mean, on your foot. I don't know what it was that you've done, but we all have those instances. And I am no different. I'm telling you, I'm the king of like events that seem to follow me wherever I go. Especially if, you, if you've been around church, you know that church is the worst for this. Like a hundred, you can't do anything in the church without being reminded by somebody like six years later. Like it just doesn't happen. I'm the king of this. I can't ever get away from, let me, let me, specific example. So anybody go to Christmas at City Hope? Raise your hand. Okay, so we have a few. Yeah, okay, there we go. Christmas at City Hope, I got the privilege to host, representing View Strong. You know what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it for my people. Um, I get up there, and I'm hosting, and I do, um, and here's the thing. Let me go ahead and preface this by some of our volunteers say I use black jokes too much in my sermons, and for that, you're racist. Um, But what else to do when you're entertaining a group of... um, people, um, then use a, like, racist just fun. We just laugh. Like, we laughing, you know what I'm saying? We laughing, they laugh, everybody laugh. Um, but but I, I did the, the unthinkable that you don't do in church. I made a black joke, okay? Sue me, right? So I'm up there, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, and, and, and this is not spontaneous. We planned this out. I'm like, my, my co-host was Denver, who happened to be uh, beige. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just use Crayola colors. He was beige. Um, and we're standing side by side, man. We're kicking it. We're talking about it's Christmas at City Hope. What up? Everybody welcome. Blah, blah, blah. And he's doing this thing, and, it, and it's going great. And we have great energy, great chemistry. We're just kind of vibing. Everything feels great. It just feels good. And we're like, we're going to take it up a notch. And he's like, he makes a joke about the holidays. And he says, Jared, Jared, I really enjoy um, that Friday shopping. Me and my wife got some great deals on that Friday. Granted, everybody in the crowd has to know that this is scripted, right? Let me just preface it by saying that. He's like, we got some great that Friday deals. And of course, I play a look like I've never heard the joke before, the 73 times in run through. I'm like, Denver, are you trying to be politically correct with the word black? And Black Friday. And of course, people lose it. They're like, oh my God, that's so funny. You're so funny. <laughs> and like by service four, I'm like, this is ridiculous. You're faking. Like you've heard this joke six times. Like why are you still laughing? Um, 
But anyway, so we say the joke, and then the joke is, the, the, the punchline is, after I say that, I'm like, okay, Denver, I'm going to, and he's like, no, no, I don't know what you're saying. I, I'm just saying that Friday's a great time to be, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, Denver, let's, let's put this to the test. So I look at him. We're both wearing black jeans. I say, what color is your pants? And he's like, black. And I was like, what color are my pants? He was like, they look great on you. And of course, the world, I mean, and when I say lose it, I'm not just talking about like a church, ha, 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 I'm talking about people are, I'm looking at, at, from the stage, I'm like, I'm to that point where I'm not laughing with them anymore. I'm just like, you, like something's wrong with you. Like, for, for you to laugh that hard at that dumb, corny joke, I, I, I knew, I knew this was going to be one of those instances where it would follow me. Like, I just wasn't going to be able to get rid of it. So, of course, I heard it that night. I heard it. Man, that joke is really funny, buddy. <laughs> That's a great joke, man. You, 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 really, you really made a good joke out of that one joke, man. It was great. It was great. Black. Ah. I'm, and, and here's the thing. It didn't just... So I expected it the next Sunday. I came back to my campus. People are high-fiving me. You did great. Like your pants. <laughs> you know? And, and like, that's fine. And I expected it. Two weeks go by. Great. Expected. Three weeks, little much. Still. Good job. We're still in the holiday season. New Year's just passed. Christmas just passed. We're good. Still. Good. Love it. Y'all, three months go by, homeboy walks into me and into the com- bumps into me into the comments. He was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute, little buddy. Come back over here. <laughs> Did you host the uh... and you know how people never say the name of the church, right? Like they always say City of Hope. It's like <laughs> Did you host the Christmas at City of Hope? <laughs> And I knew I was coming because I could tell he was already corny and I knew what was about to happen. He was, I was like, yeah, bro, what's good? What's, what's up? And he said, hey, I got a question for you. What color are my pants? And I was like, black. He was like, what color are yours? I mean, he loses it. I'm standing right there in the comments looking around like, somebody save me, dear God. Like, what is happening? And he's like, little buddy, that was a great joke. Taps me on the shoulder and go. I'm like, son, that happened three months ago. I can't get, y'all, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm going to be living this down for the next year. Stuff like this happens in our church all the time. I mean, I just can't get away from stuff. And it's funny now to y'all because you don't have to deal with these corny dudes like six months in advance. But it's not funny. Just let me let you know that right now. It's not funny. Yeah, nice pants, right, yeah. <clears throat> They're actually ashy gray, so forget you anyway. Um, <laughs> But do y'all ever have that in your life? Like, and maybe it, was, maybe it was something that wasn't that embarrassing. It's just like, I don't even know why you still remember that. I'm not in high school anymore. Like, why are you still bringing that up? Like, that's not even a thing. Like, let's get away from that. But have you ever been in that spot where you can't seem to shake your past? Like, you can't seem to get rid of, like, you, like some people move towns and cities and states just to get rid of their past. But we go through desperate measures to get rid of the things that we've done a few years ago. But what about our lives, man? Have you ever been in a spot where you can't get rid of your past? Just like the, the, the woman at the, at the, who, who had the, the scene of adultery. Nobody cared about her. They just knew she was an adulterer. That was it. It was that one thing. Have you ever had a mess up 
in your life that you can't seem to get rid of. And a lot of times, a lot of times, if we look at that story, the accusers aren't from without. A lot of times, when it comes to our life and our past, we're the best accusers in the world. Sometimes the reason why we can't outrun our past is because it stay with us in our head. It's right here. We call it a many names. Regret. Shame. And that's exactly what it does. See, here's the truth, and I want y'all to write this down because you need to understand what the enemy does and the tactics that it's going to use to make sure it slows you down. See, what it does is it throws shame into your life over the things that you've done in your past, but here's what shame does. Shame takes a moment of activity and turns it into identity. Shame takes a moment of activity and turns it into identity. What is that? What am I talking about? What am I talking about? Okay, we're all human, right? We mess up. We make mistakes. But what shame does is it says, oh, yeah, 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 bro. Listen, yeah, you messed up. You messed up. But not only did you mess up, you're a mess up. You're a mess up. Not only did you make a mistake, but hey, you're the mistake. That's what shame does. Shame keep, keeps us rooted in our past because it won't let us see the promise of forgiveness that Jesus continually offers to us freely. But we get so caught up in the thing we did last week, a year ago. We can't let shame just stay behind. We, we take it with us wherever we go. If we look back at this, this, this passage of Scripture, that's exactly what is happening. They, they don't care. The accusers don't give, give uh, two cares that this woman could be a sister or a mother or a daughter. This passage of Scripture doesn't say any of that. What does it say? What does it say they called her? An adulterer. They don't tell us her name. They don't tell us where she's from. They could have even said, like, the adulterer from New York. Like, give us some history or something. Like, they didn't give us anything. They just said an adulterer. They put a label on this woman's life and said, you know what? Yes, you messed up. Yes, you made a mistake. But guess what? You're the mistake. Not only did you commit adultery, you're the adulterer. That's who you are. Shame takes a moment of activity and turns it into identity. But how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond? So cool, calm, and collected, he bends down and starts making sandcastles. Smooth move, Jesus. Like, I imagine what his, what his disciples are thinking. They're like, dude, this dude is wild. <laughs> like, what is going on? The homeboys. Is, and like, like let's, let's paint the picture real quick of what's happening at this scene. So, so if the Bible says, we read it together, right? We, we read that passage of scripture together. The Bible said it caught her in the very act. Can we agree? Can we agree? Yes. It caught her in the very act. I don't know about you guys. There's only one way to be in the very act of adultery, and that's without clothes. Um, and I don't mean to press the limits on what you can say from the platform, but I'm just saying homegirl was naked. And she wasn't naked. I said naked. There's a difference. Babies are naked when they come out of the womb. She's naked. You know what I'm like? She, she, she naked. So they throw this naked woman at the feet of Jesus, and they go, Jesus, you're so great with tax collectors and sinners. Handle this naked woman. Uh-uh. And what does he do? In a surprising twisted turn of events, homeboy goes, I got you. <laughs> Starts drawing pictures in the dirt. 
How does that make sense? Like, the disciples are going, what in the world is happening? There's a naked woman to his left and a figure eight to his right. Look what is happening. But see, this is such a clear picture of us and our Savior. Why? Because when we throw our mess at the feet of Jesus, he never looks at it and goes, you're so disgusting. You're a mess up. You're a mistake. He never looks at us and goes, you're not worthy of my forgiveness. Here's the thing about our Jesus. Here's the thing about our God. He's never appalled at the brokenness of his children. Jesus is never taken aback by our mistakes. He created us. How could he be disgusted with his, he's not, his, his heart breaks for us in our sin. But here's the thing. He never goes, oh, you're beyond repair. Nope. Close this deal up. You're done. You committed adultery. Mm. Total the car. She's out. That's not how Jesus operates. And what happens next? So he bends down, he draws in the sand. And what does he say after he stands back up? He says, you who is without sin, cast the first stone. What begins to happen? The men, starting from the old ones to the younger ones, what does he do? Drop stones, walk away. And what we're left with is this really incredibly interesting scene of Jesus standing there with the naked woman. And what does he do? What does he do? Not appalled at all by her brokenness, not ashamed at what he created. He's just there. But see, I think the more interesting thing about this this passage of Scripture is that the woman just stays there. I don't know about you guys, ladies, but if I'm naked in front of a dude, I'm going to run. Like, that's just not going to happen. That's not going to, like, I'm not just going to stand there. But what happened? She's just standing there. The Bible makes it clear to tell us that they're both just standing there. Why? Why? Because here's the thing that shame does. It keeps you paralyzed in your current circumstance so you can't see the promise that God has for you that's wrapped up in the forgiveness that came from the cross. See, she was so stuck in her adultery, it happened like six hours ago, homie, get over it. No, okay, that was too far. But she's stuck in her current circumstance, naked, when Jesus just redeemed her from everything she had ever done. Because here's the part the story's not going to tell you. I guarantee you, this is a Jewish woman. She's a Bible-believing woman. She's beating herself. She's stoning herself on the inside any more than they could ever do. You know what she's telling herself? I deserve it. This is the law. I'm supposed to die. I prepared myself for this. I messed up. I'm a mess up. Why? Because she's allowed shame to dictate her circumstance and keep her feet paralyzed from walking in the promise that Jesus just granted her. But what does he say? He says, go. He has to tell her to move. I think the Bible left out a couple words here. Probably said, go, grab some clothes, and then sin no more. But it said, go and sin no more. Go. And sin no more. Because here's the thing. She allowed her past. She allowed her past. Hear me, young people. She allowed her past to keep her from the promise. How many of us do that? How many of us allow what we did, what we've done, who we've been with, 
the things we've seen? How many of us allow those things to keep us from drawing closer to the Father? She allowed her past to keep her from her promise. But let's look at another passage of Scripture that's going to help clearly define the remedy for this behavior. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, one of my favorite passages of Scripture ever in the Bible. This is what it said. This is what it says. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we've heard that a billion times because church is really good at telling us we're not good enough. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen. I'm not going to amen that. You just told me I messed up. I like the next part. Yes, the truth of the matter is there's nobody perfect in here. We all messed up. But this is what the Bible says after. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Being justified. Here's where it gets good. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. There's a lot of big words in that. I'm sorry if you didn't take your SAT, but let me help you explain what just happened. See, basically what Jesus just did through Romans is said, yes, everybody messed up, but when you believe in me and what I did on the cross, there is atonement for your sins. Yes, you just messed up, but here's how you get better. You believe in me because I'm bigger than anything you've ever been through. I'm the propitiation. I am the atonement. I am what it takes to get you from your past into your promise. Two things we can infer from this passage of scripture. Two things. And I love them. Right here. One, all have sinned. I accept that. That's 100% the truth. But if we accept his grace through faith, we're forgiven. Two things. I accept it. And I believe it. And here's the thing about acceptance. Really, I love that formula. It makes it so clean. Forgiveness is really simple. Acceptance and faith. But here's the thing. That acceptance, in, if we're going to do math, first of all, let me let you know I'm terrible at math. So um, this is good math because this is Bible math. I can do this math. It's great. Um, that acceptance should have a two at the top left E. I mean, the top right E. So it'd be acceptance squared. Here's why. Because two things you need to accept in this situation. One, you need to accept that, yes, I'm a sinner. But here's the thing that you have to accept as well, which is a lot harder for people that are analytical and try to think and, 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 and outthink their way through situations, is the second thing you have to accept is that Jesus Christ's blood was big enough to cover your sins. You've got to accept both of those two things. That acceptance should be squared. Plus what? Faith. He says grace by grace through what? Faith. So it's not just that his grace is there. Yes, his grace is there and welcome to all, but you have to accept it. How? You accept that you messed up and you accept that his grace is big enough, but now I believe in the redemptive power of the cross. You've got to accept it and you've got to believe it. That's what forgiveness is. See, what Romans is really telling us is that faith is the thing that takes us from our past into our promise. Yes, we accept it, but here's the thing. You can accept it and stay where you're at. I promise you she accepted that she did it. She's naked. She did it. <laughs> like, she accepted the fact that she did it, but that kept her paralyzed. And here's the other part of acceptance. She accepted the fact that Jesus saved her life. How do we know? Because she didn't say, wait, no, guys, come back and stone me. 
She accepted the fact that she messed up and she accepted the fact that Jesus saved her life. But what gives you that forgiveness that is so essential to a believer's life is you have to believe it. You have to believe that God's grace is enough. You have to believe in the redemptive power of the cross. Put it to you like this. Put it to you like this. Me and my wife... We agree on like 98% of everything, right? 100% of the time we agree almost every time. So it's great and our marriage is awesome and I love her to death, do us part. That's what we said in the vows. But there's a couple of things we don't see eye to eye on. And maybe some of you people out here can help me out because I know I'm not the only one that loves loud music in the car. Amen. Somebody give me an amen. Somebody, somebody did the quiet church thing. They said, mm-hmm check. That's our first amen all night. It's okay. I don't judge you. Um, but I love loud music in the car, right? On trips, I'm like, turn it up. And I don't care what it is. It could be Katy Perry or Mosaic. Like, I don't, I don't have, like, it's not like only when Lecrae's on do I crank it up. It, I don't care what it is. We listen to the old school Usher. That's fine. Crank it up. I mean, my child, I mean, yeah, like, it don't matter, but it's going to be loud, right? She hates it. She's like, I have a headache. I'm like, stop lying, girl. Turn it up. <laughs> I just love loud music in the car. It keeps me awake. It keeps me alert. I just feel like it's just my thing. I, it's one of those things. So I turn the music up, and my wife hates it. And, and she, here's the thing. She's already soft-spoken as it is. But I just feel like this, is, this may not be true, but I feel like because there's always a point when the music's loud that I have to say, huh? Huh, what'd you say? And she's like, oh, nothing, nothing. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But I just like, like, I don't know why. I just think that she's saying stuff that like really matters. She's like, I believe that in the man that God has called you to be. I love you so much. You're the greatest husband on the face of the earth and you're beautiful in every way. And I'm like, huh, what'd you say, girl? And she's like, oh, nothing. Mm, don't worry about it. Your music stuff, you can't hear it. I don't care. <laughs> and like in my mind, I'm playing stories about what she just said. She could be like speaking truth and, and, and honesty into my life or she could be telling me to turn it down like I don't know you know like I'm just in that spot where I'm like it's too loud but see sometimes sometimes we turn the volume of shame up so loud that it doesn't matter that Jesus Christ is riding in our passenger seat speaking life and, and speaking the honest truth about who we are and the redemptive power of the cross. It doesn't matter that he's sitting right next to us telling us who we are in him because the volume of shame is so loud in our spiritual ears that all we hear is what we aren't instead of who we are in the promise of forgiveness. See, sometimes shame just is so loud in our ear. It doesn't matter that we're saved because we can't hear anything besides blah, blah, blah. You'll never make it. You're your mistakes. You're your past. But maybe we just need to turn the volume down. Huh? Maybe we need to turn the volume down on shame just a little bit. 
You in a group of friends that continually hold you down, even though you know that this is not where God is, is having you at this specific point in time. You know I'm not supposed to be here, but you keep hanging out with this same group of people and y'all keep doing the same things and y'all keep going in the same circles and they know you're saved, but they don't really care. And they're like, oh, you're saved, but it's all good. You keep running in the same circle and you keep doing the same things that breaks your heart every single time. And you say, why God, why? Maybe you need to turn the, the, the volume down on shame and stop hanging out with the same people and switch up your environment maybe you need to turn the volume down if you're in a relationship that's riddled with filth and shame and abuse and sin and you know it's wrong and you know this is not where God has you and you know this isn't truly what's in your heart of hearts but you keep going back to him. You keep going back to her because of some of the most ridiculous reasons I've ever heard. I gave my heart to him when we were young. So take it, now you're old. I love him. What's love got to do with it? If that's not the same relationship that God wants you in to fulfill the will that he has for your life, you're just turning the volume of shame up louder and louder and louder to finally you don't understand the truth of his word because you can't hear anything else. So maybe you need to switch up a relationship and turn the volume down. Your vo the, the voices in your head keep telling you you're not enough. You say you're depressed. You say you struggle with suicidal thoughts. You say you struggle with, with anxiety and all these things that are serious and that are real and that are causing you this heaviness and you can't seem to break it. And every time you come to church, it's like, I'm lifted for a second and now boom, it feels like it's back again and it's constantly pulling you down and down and you can't seem to break free of these chains. Do you have genuine community with people in your church? Do you have life-giving relationships? Are you allowing a pastor to speak life into you? Are you reading your word? Because here's the thing. If you're listening to the same music, you're watching the same things, and you go home and doing the same pattern that you've always done, the same friends, whatever it is, you're going to get the same thoughts in your head. Why? Because when you're in your, the same atmosphere that started off all of this shame and this negativity, how in the world can you be in the same atmosphere and not expect the volume of shame to keep turning up? You better turn the volume down. But it's almost like we don't know how to be forgiven. Right? It's almost like we don't clearly understand what it means to lay everything that we have at the feet of Jesus, no matter how disgusting, no matter how naked, and say, here, Jesus, this is all I got. I know it's disgusting, but I need to be put back together again. He's not appalled. He's going to calmly write stuff in the sand. And you're going to be confused for a second, and then he's going to be like, listen, you're forgiven. I paid for this on the cross. Stop carrying it. Why are you still walking with shame? Why are you still tolerating something I came to eliminate? 
See, I believe that there's some people in this place tonight that need to break free of some bondages that have consistently been holding them down and holding them down and they can't seem to break free. And the reason is they won't step out in faith. They won't step out in faith and say, Jesus, I'm real about cleansing my heart and allowing you to take over. I just want some warm and fuzzies on worship night. But see, tonight, you're going to have an opportunity. Tonight, you're going to have an opportunity to step out in faith and don't worry about who's looking around. You're going to have an opportunity to step out in faith and say, Jesus, I'm done with that. I want to lay those burdens down. I'm tired of dealing with shame. I need to walk in the promise of forgiveness. I want to know what it truly means to be forgiven. And I want to feel that. I want to walk in that freedom. Because here's the truth about being a believer. If you're a believer, you're already forgiven. You're just not living with the benefits Shame doesn't rob you of your salvation. It robs you of your abundant life in Jesus Christ. So when you're walking in shame, it's not that you're not saved anymore, but what's happening is it's pulling you back and making you walk with a bag of bricks and it's so heavy when you could be running free in the promise of forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. Somebody needs to drop a load. Just drop it. Just let it go. Tonight we're going to do that with every head bowed and every eye closed. Two questions. Two questions. One. If you're in this place tonight and you're walking with shame and it's heavy, but the other side of that is you don't have the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ covering your life, if that's you, and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. And you want to do that tonight. No emotion. We're not, we're, we're not trying to trick you into doing anything. This isn't a decision that's going to make us happy. This is the decision that's going to change your life. And if that's you, with nobody looking around, don't care about what your friends think. Stop worrying about all that. Step out in faith. If that's you and you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus tonight, I want you to raise your hand. You're in here tonight, and you know what? You're saved. It happened, but you're still not walking in the benefits of the freedom of the promise. And you're still allowing shame to keep you paralyzed in your circumstance. And you're saying, you know what? I'm tired of being stuck in my past. I'm ready to walk into my promise. If that's you, and you're saying, I got, get, I got to get rid of some heaviness. I don't care who you are. If that's you, and you're ready to get rid of it tonight, I want you to raise your hand. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. There's power in what you just did. You saw the formula. Forgiveness equals acceptance squared plus faith. But here's the thing. Right now, all you did was accept it. All you did was accept the fact that, yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I have shame which is great, and it's the first step. The next part, you accepted the fact that Jesus' blood is big enough. I assume that because you raised your hand. 
But here's the part that is the most important. And catch me, young people, because if nobody comes to this altar and gets prayed for and allows these people, these leaders, to grow them and to speak life over them and to turn down the volume of shame and to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, if nobody's down at these altars, I know I failed because you need to get this off your heart tonight and you don't need to go another day with this junk still riding on your back. Because here's the other part you have to do. You've got to step out in faith. And here's the thing I know about faith is it's rarely, faith rarely comes in ones. You need somebody to stand with you and believe with you. So what's happening right now is our ministry team is coming up. They're coming up right now and they're going to be at the front. And here's what's going to happen tonight. We're going to sing a little bit. I'm going to pray and I'm going to have you guys repeat after me. And if you said that prayer, if you're saying, you know what, I want to get rid of this junk tonight and you raise your hand, don't hesitate. Don't wait for who's looking. And let me be honest with you, you can't handle it on your own. You can't just raise your hand and get by. But when you confess with your mouth, James says there's healing. There's healing in the power of confession. You need somebody to stand with you in faith. So after we pray, we're going to stand up together and we're going we're gonna to sing. And if you raise your hand, nobody's looking. And if they are, great. They just saw you get healthy. What's wrong with that? Allow some people to pray with you tonight. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I accept the fact that I'm a sinner. I know I messed up. But I believe it doesn't define me. I accept the fact that your blood is enough and that the cross delivered me. So tonight, I ask you to come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again. Take over, Jesus, and show me how to live again. I want to walk in the promise of your forgiveness. So again, let me just challenge you. If that was you and you raise your hand and you're ready to get rid of it, this is how. This is how. Stand with me really quick. We're going to sing this chorus. And if you didn't raise your hand, listen, I want you to still be respectful. The service is not over. Stay with us. Pray for the people that are walking down and allowing God to, to move and minister to their life. But if that's you, when we start singing, just come. Just come. Come on, let's sing together.
to give all I have just enough Jesus there's no one beside you forever the hope in my heart can we sing all to be like all to be like to give all I have just enough Jesus there's no one beside you forever the hope in my heart we sing cause it's all in this soul because of you Jesus it's all because of you Jesus it's all because of your love that my soul will live in this soul because of you Jesus it's all because of you Jesus it's all because of your guys as we sit here in God's presence and just seeing so much life change happen right now if you're sitting out there and God's tugging on your heart don't miss this moment look past your past and go to the promise God is moving in so many other lives right now and don't miss this opportunity someone up here is waiting to pray with you waiting to help you take the next step because that's what view is all about we're here to help you we're here about God. We're here to serve the one true King. So don't, don't look past this opportunity. Come to the front. We're waiting for you. And for everyone else, thank y'all for coming out. Y'all are dismissed.